Thanks for joining us here in Centralia, Illinois, where we are a community of people who are not perfect and don't pretend to be. Our hope and prayer is that through the following message, you are encouraged, blessed, and inspired to meet the Lord in a powerful way. But these are topics that as the Christ followers, uh, it's our obligation to uh, have a confrontation with the worldview that most people have when it comes to these topics. And the topic that I'm going to share with you today is depression. All of our lips have spoken the words of discouragement and depression. There's not anybody here. There's not anybody watching online. There's not anybody that you've encountered this past week, uh, this past month, that certainly the last year that have not experienced some levels of depression. Every one of us has known at one time or another that setback, the slap, the grief, the disheartening effects of the stress that comes with those setbacks. When this happens, normal tasks take longer to do. Positive words don't help. People quoting scripture at you doesn't really do, the, do it for you. And what happens is depression becomes all-consuming. It takes over your life. And if you study on it, you'll, you'll hear the term clinically depressed. And when we talk about um, depression, there's a continuum from sadness all the way to despair. Sadness, we, when you lose something, you experience that. Despair, that, that level of depression that we would call clinical depression is when you're not able to get out of bed and you're not able to function at work and everything is hard. It's almost like you're walking through quicksand everywhere you go and everything you do each day. And to be honest, to be human is to feel that numbing exhaustion of demotivation or that fog of depression that absolutely we all experience at one time or another. And I want to share with you the only difference between a rut and a grave is the depth of the hole. You know, depth is not always intentional. Sometimes you start digging that hole of depression and don't even realize what you're doing. But it's inevitable if you keep on digging. You know, bumps come along in life. Life happens. And if we focus only on the bad things in life, depression happens too. And depression can become a way of life. And the problem is that we don't know when we go from sadness into despair. We're just there. We don't realize how many steps that we've taken to get there. And then when we look back, it seems way too far of a journey to turn things around. And so we just live in the pit of despair. Well, there's reasons why this happens. So what I want to do today is share with you four reasons for depression. And the first one is this, situational reasons. COVID. For the last year, people have been locked up in their homes. Many not experiencing contact with people. And absolutely, the numbers are staggering with the level of depression that has increased in society, the number of suicides that have gone up. You know, we don't talk about that. And so situational reasons like 
COVID or extreme loss, extreme loss in a relationship, maybe somebody that you were in love with and they break off that relationship. That can lead to depression. Maybe you were in a marriage that you were enjoying and you uh, loved and, and that gets dissolved and you find yourself in the pit of despair thinking that you'll never be able to recover from that. Maybe it's the loss of a child. One of the hardest things a, a mom or a dad can experience is to lose that precious gift of life. And yet it happens day after day. Many in here have been impacted by this. Many of your friends have experienced the tragedy of losing a child. Maybe it's major change that comes in your life. One time that um, many people experience depression is after retirement. You think, oh, you know what? That's easy street. Life is good. And then what you find out is you wake up each day and you don't have a purpose for living. And if you don't find a purpose for living, the, the numbers are staggering on how quick people pass away after retirement. Maybe a major change like a little baby comes into your life. Absolutely, there are dozens of ladies in here, and you pass them every day that have experienced postpartum depression. This bundle of life, and yet they struggle getting out of bed in the morning. This precious gift of life, and yet they struggle with what's going on, and they don't understand it. Maybe it's a major change in finances. The job that was awesome is gone. The money that was pouring into your bank account dries up. The gift that kept on giving no longer gives. Things, and when you experience this situational depression, the things that you were normally able to handle seem overwhelming and impossible. But the situation changes, and hopefully, if you didn't dig the hole too deep, you'll be able to change your mental outlook. You'll be able to change from uh, the pit of despair back along this continuum to sadness, and then ultimately change the way that you're thinking and get transformed in the way that you look at life. Second reason that depression happens is what I would call systemic reasons. Systemic reasons are maybe things that you don't really have any control of. Uh, for example, you could have a chemical imbalance in your body and experience depression. You can have a hormone imbalance and experience depression. Men, don't say amen right now. You, you can have um, a physical anomaly that you don't realize that leads you into this spirit of depression and you don't understand why is this happening? Why do I feel this way? Life is good, but yet I feel horrible. And until you go see a doctor, you may never find out what causes that. Now, I'm going to talk about another reason why we experience depression that many of you have no clue about unless you hang out with my wife. And it's called our gut biome. Did you know you had a gut biome? There's an entire um, cellular life that lives within our gut. And based on what we feed it can determine whether or not we feel happy or sad. 
And the problem is some of the things that we eat that make us feel happy turn us into depression 90 minutes later or later that night. And ultimately, our soul, which is attached to our body, catches our own body's diseases. Whether it's through the chemical imbalance, whether it's through the physical anomaly, whether it's through our gut biome. That systemic situation, and, and again, I would encourage you, when, if you have no reason to be depressed and you find yourself depressed, or somebody close to you is telling you that you're depressed, that's probably a good time to see a doctor. Because there's tests that they can do that can help you uncover. The third reason I want to share with you is satanic reasons. There is no better example of this in Scripture than in Job. Satan approached God and said, Job's not as good as you think, God. Let me have him and I'll show you. And through that trial and ordeal that Job lived through, Job experienced depression. You can read his words and he, he talked about it. And yet at the end of the story of Job, Job says, I have come forth refined better than gold. And I want you to understand that in your depression, no matter what situation it is, you can have the testimony of Job or you can't. It's your choice. Here's what I would tell you. When you experience satanic oppression in your life, you better believe that big things are coming. And, and maybe, you know, I don't think Satan wakes up and says, you know, I wonder what Ronnie's doing in Centralia. I think I might need to take a visit down there. I don't believe that that... Uh, that he's ever heard my name. But what is true is another, the fourth reason I want to share with you is spiritual reasons. One of the biggest, probably the biggest spiritual reason for us to experience depression is fear. There is healthy fear and there is excessive fear. And when you fixate on it, it gets to become the excessive side and you will ultimately talk yourself into depression. And when you talk yourself into depression, you start digging a hole that you don't want to stop digging because it's easier to dig than climb out. Another spiritual reason is when we struggle making a decision that we know we should make. We know the answer. We're ready to take the test, and yet we struggle with that. Most people experience depression because they don't understand. They don't understand what's going on in their body. They don't understand why all of this stuff is happening to them. They don't understand, and they experience sadness, and they continue until they live and find themselves in the pit of despair. And I'm here to tell you, folks, that the enemy only wants one thing in your life, and that's to steal, kill, and destroy everything good. He wants nothing more than you to stay home on Sunday mornings and not listen to the message. He wants you not to experience worship the way you just experienced it this morning. He wants you to keep digging that hole and telling yourself it's never going to get any better. That's what the enemy wants. And too often, we give him exactly what he's asking for. And there's a myth out there that Christians don't get depression. Matter of fact, I think it's beyond the myth. It's a bold-faced lie. Let me give you some biblical examples of depression that we see in Scripture. I already talked about Job. Moses, leading a million people out of Egypt, experienced depression. Depression in the wilderness, 
He experienced depression after he saw God do those 10 incredible miracles and then part the sea. David, you read through the Psalms and you see David in his depressed state many times. In Jonah, um, read it and hear it in Jonah 4.1, he says, throw me into the sea. He was ready to die. Just kill me. Nehemiah, who worked as the cupbearer for the king, for four months he presented himself to the king with a sad ex- He was, the Bible tells us, he was depressed. And you didn't do that to the king. Any one of those days during that four months, he could have been killed because he went before the king with a sad expression. You know, when you're depressed, you just don't care. In the New Testament, Peter, after he denied Christ, absolutely experienced depression. Going to 1 Corinthians, and Paul talks about it, how that they were being attacked so much that they were in despair. Now, this is Paul, Paul who saw God do incredible things. But I don't want to talk about any of these men. The man that I want to talk to you today about is Elijah. James 5.17 says this, Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are. That's who I want you to hear about today. And what I would like to do is just over the next few minutes, I want to share with you what I believe in his story is the anatomy of depression and what depression looks like and why he got there. So if you have your Bibles with you, if you would open up to 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19. If you don't have or own a copy of God's Word, I would encourage you that in front of you, underneath those seats, there are Bibles. If you open it up, there's a message in there from us, and that is we believe that everybody should own a copy of God's Word. And if you, you came in here today not owning a copy of God's Word, you can walk out with that one. Put your name in it and keep it. Open it up and read it. If you found one of those Bibles, if you find page 364, you'll be right where you need to be. 1 Kings chapter 19. But before we get to 1 Kings chapter 19, uh, you have to read 1 Kings chapter 18. And before you can read 1 Kings chapter 18, you've got to read 1 Kings 17, yes. You know, 1 Kings chapter 17 starts off with an incredible story how that Elijah... He made a proclamation that it's not going to rain and there's going to be no dew on the earth until I pronounce it again. And then God told him, go and go hide. And for seven years, there was famine. And for seven years, there was no rain. And for seven years, there was no dew. And for the first couple of those years, every morning and every evening, birds brought the food to Elijah. And then a couple years into that, God told him uh, to move out and go visit a lady uh, who was a widow and her son. And he showed up just as this widow was uh, making her last set of cakes because she just had a little bit of flour left and she just had a little bit of oil left. And he said, would you make me a, a, a biscuit? That's what he really meant. The Bible calls it a cake, but it was a biscuit. And she says, I was just about to make my last two biscuits and me and my son were going to eat it and didn't die. But because you've asked, he said, well, wait a second, before you do that, why don't you and your son go and visit all your neighbors and collect all 
of the containers you possibly can. And I would imagine that one container that she had that had some oil in it, um, and he, he lined them all up on the table, and he, he just started pouring it out. And, and it had probably a half a cup, and, and, and next it, it just kept coming out. And the Bible tells us that they filled up all of the containers. Now, during a famine like this, do you know what oil's worth? A lot of money. And she sold that. Well, in verse 18 of 1 Kings chapter 17, we hear that the, her son dies, got sick, and died. And Elijah had been staying there at the house. And she questions Elijah, and she says, how, you know, why would God allow this to happen when, you know, you're doing this? I don't even know that you're really a prophet of God. And Elijah picked the young boy up, carried him up to the upper room, and he prayed to God. And he said, God, how can this happen? And he prayed, and the young boy came back to life. Now, many of you may ask, do you believe that, that that happened, Ryan? You better believe it. You know why? Because I read it right here. See, see, this is more than just a book. This is God's word. And I accept it as that. Well, you keep on. After you finish up 1 Kings chapter 17, you get into 1 Kings chapter 18. and verse 1, it says, and after many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. And he said, present yourself to the king. And in verse 7, he encounters a guy by the name of Obadiah, and Obadiah was a good guy. Obadiah was probably second in command, and Ahab, the king at that time, had said, Obadiah, you go check on, on this part. They basically took the map, drew a line down, and said, you check everywhere over here. I'm going to check everywhere over here, and let's go. we got to find this guy, Elijah, and we're going to make him pronounce it so that there's rain again on this land. Because for seven years, they've been looking for Elijah, and they couldn't find him. For seven years, it hadn't rained. For seven years, there had not been any dew upon the ground. Could you imagine the state of the economy? I mean, look what happened to us in just a few months. What would happen if everything stopped? Well, here they were seven years into that. And now um, Elijah is going to present himself. He finds Obadiah who's looking for him. And Obadiah knows that this is Elijah because Elijah was, everyone knew what Elijah looked like. And he comes up to him and he says, tell the king I'm coming in. I'm going to meet him on Mount Carmel. And Obadiah says, how have I sinned? Because here's what's going to happen. I'm going to go tell the king that you're going to meet him and you're not going to show up. The spirit of the Lord is going to take you away and you're going to disappear for another seven years and I'm not going to live another seven days. Elijah says, don't be afraid. You go tell the king. Verse 17 of chapter 18, he has an encounter with Ahab, and Ahab sees him and says, You troubler of Israel. Isn't it funny how we get blamed for everything going wrong in life? Isn't it funny how Jesus Christ gets blamed for everything? You know, every religion is okay to accept, but Christianity, don't do that. Don't go there. Don't talk about that. And there in 1 Kings chapter 18, Ahab called 450 of the prophets of Baal, and Elijah stood against them. They built these altars, and they tried to call down fire from heaven on their altar, and nothing happened. 
Elijah, he got a little cranky and he started mocking him. Nothing happened. And then ultimately, Elijah prayed. After he had them go and get like barrels of water and soak the altar. And fire came down from heaven and consumed the sacrifice and the entire altar. And when he was done, he said, now kill those prophets. And 450 of them died. And then Elijah looks over at Ahab and he says, it's going to rain again. And then the storm clouds just overtook the land. And Elijah told Ahab, you need to get in your chariot and you need to get back to the city. Otherwise, you're not going to make it. And they took off. And then I don't know what overcame Elijah, but Elijah, it says he girt up his, you know, because, you know, they, they had like skirts back then. It was like a robe, and he, he pulls it up, and he starts running, and he runs in front of the chariot. Now, we, we think about that, and we think, well, maybe the chariot was just like, you know, trotting down the, the road. No, they, the rain was coming. They were trying to beat it. Any, have you ever tried to beat the rain? I remember growing up on my 10-speed bicycle that uh, the rain would be behind me, and I, I've got, you know, a quarter of a mile to get to the house, and I am driving. You know, I like to drive fast, right? Even on a 10-speed bicycle, I like driving fast. So here I am. I'm going in the rain. I can just hear it coming. I can imagine that that's what was happening to Elijah and Ahab and everyone else that had been up on Mount Carmel. And that rain, you could just hear it coming. You could smell it. It was about to get ugly. Let me ask you something. How is it possible for Elijah to experience depression? How is it possible for the man that said it's not going to rain and it didn't rain for seven years? How is it possible for the man who told her to go get all the containers and watch them get filled up with oil? How is it possible for the same man who watched her son come back to life? How is it possible this man who saw fire come down from heaven and consume the altar based on his prayer, how could he experience depression? I want to share with you three very compelling reasons, and I believe that these are the same things that if you're experiencing depression, you probably see them in your life as well. And if you're in 1 Kings chapter 19, you'll see in verse number 2 that Elijah started listening to the wrong voice. 1 Kings 19, chapter 2 says this, Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So may the gods do to me and more also, if I do not make your life as one of them by this time tomorrow. Now, come on. He had just seen them call on their God, and nothing happened. And yet here is the queen threatening his life based on those gods' powerlessness, And he got scared. Matter of fact, if, I'll read it to you. And, and Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done in verse 1 and how that he had killed all the prophets with the sword. And then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. In verse 3 it says, then he was afraid. What, what was the number one spiritual reason for us to experience depression? Fear. And then he was afraid, and he arose, and he ran for his life. Just the day before, he was running a victory lap. We like running victory laps around Crossroads Church. 
He's running a victory lap, and he's kind of mocking King Ahab. He's like, man, can't those horses run any faster? And a day later, because of the words of Queen Jezebel, he's running for his life. Well, maybe, maybe it's not that you're listening to the wrong voice, because that will lead you into depression. The second reason that we saw in Elijah's life for the reason why he experienced depression is in verse 5. And he was exhausted physically and mentally. The seven years was a long period of time. It wasn't any easier for Elijah than it was for anybody else. It was a tough time. And having just experienced what he experienced on Mount Carmel, you could imagine that he was physically drained. And not only was he physically drained, but now he was mentally drained. Have you ever been at one of the places where you're physically and mentally just exhausted? Even in victory, you're exhausted. And it says in verse 5, and he lay down and he slept under a broom tree. Keep reading in verse 10, you'll see these words. And there came, I'm sorry, not in verse 10, go to verse 8. And he arose and ate and drank and went into the strength of that food for 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the Mount of God. Horeb, if you do any research, is the same place of Mount of Calvary. So not only was he listening to the wrong voice, not only was he physically and mentally exhausted, but the third thing that we saw in Elijah's life, and I believe that probably is happening in your life, is that he, be, he was isolated and consumed with irrational thinking. I'll read again in verse 3. Then he was afraid, and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree, and he asked that he might die. What is it? Everybody, I don't think it was just Jonah and Elijah. I imagine that there's people in this room have reached that point in their life where they just wish they could end it. They wish that they could stop going on. They wish that, you know what, anything is better than what I'm going through right now. And I'm here to tell you you're wrong. I'm here to tell you that that is not the answer. I'm here to tell you that that's what the enemy wants to happen in your life. Let me show you what happens when you have isolated and irrational thinking. I'm going to read verses 9 through 14 to you. Then he came to a cave and he lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and he said to him. Now understand something. Even in your lowest moments, even in the pit of despair, God can, does, and will speak to you. But you got to be listening. And he said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Have you, has God ever said that to you? You find yourself in the bar and God says to you, what are you doing here? Find yourself in a relationship and says, God, what are you doing? Found yourself out on the lake on Sunday afternoon and God says to you, why are you out here? He 
And the worst part is Elijah answers him. And I'll bet you've done it too. I have. In a moment, it sounds like the most brilliant thing you can come up with. In hindsight, it sounds like the stupidest thing. And let me show you what stupid sounds like. And he said, this is Elijah in verse 10. I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel forsaken have forsaken your covenant and thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left and they seek my life to take it away. He's telling this to God, like God needs to be reminded. Have you ever done that? Reminded God of something that he knows about already? God, have you not noticed that my car just broke down? I can't get to work. God, have you not noticed that? And then we just start filling in the blank, don't we? That's what Elijah did. And this is what God, he responded. And he said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. Listen. And a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in it. Now think about that. He's standing at this, the mouth of this cave. And this great wind is blowing so much that it's tearing the rocks off of the mountain. And he doesn't cover up. And then the earthquake happens and he's, you know, rocking around a little bit. He doesn't cover up. And then a fire comes and destroys probably everything he could see and he doesn't cover up. But when he hears God speak to him, he recognizes it. And he responds. He wrapped his face in verse 13 in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Asked him the same question. Doggone it. Elijah gave him the same answer. He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord and the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. See, it's not enough. Sometimes you'll hear a preacher on Sunday morning and he'll preach and he'll, he'll put conviction into your heart. Not, and it's not him doing it. It's the Holy Spirit. And, and, and you know that it was God speaking to you and you sneak out the back. And then on Monday, when you're driving to work, you turn on the radio and another preacher comes on, says the exact same thing, speaking to the exact same heart issue. And you, you either turn it up or you turn it off. How could a man who's seen God do what he had done fall into the trap of depression? Why? Because James 5.14 says Elijah was a man just like us, subject to the same passions that we are. Now listen, it says, and he prayed, he believed God fervently, and God answered his prayer. Didn't rain for seven days, seven years. 
and he feared just as fervently, and he ran for his life. Folks, you want to know why you're having depression? It's because of the fear that you've allowed into your life. It's the voices that you're listening to. And you get to choose, is it going to be fear or faith? Every morning we wake up, fear or faith. What is it going to be? We close our Bibles and we embrace fear. And then when God gets a hold of us, we sound just like Elijah. God, you're not going to believe this. I'm the only one in my family that's serving you. I'm the only one who used to read the Bible. I'm the only one who loves going to the church. I'm the only one who listens to Christian radio when we're driving down the road. I'm the only one, God. Where are you? And you have this pity party. You see, you want God to do it in his his timing on your schedule. And God just doesn't work that way. Do y'all remember Easter Sunday? Easter Sunday, we had 250 people in church, the largest crowd that we've had in many years. But you know what? Before we got to Easter Sunday, we got to go back. Because June of 2020, we had 40 in here when we opened back up after COVID, being shut down for 12 weeks. But you got to go back beyond that. And in December of 2017, this church believed in faith and they called a new pastor that they had to wait for 12 months for him to get here. But they said, we know that this is the man that God's bringing to us and we'll wait. But on Easter Sunday, Mount Carmel, God blessed 250 people, 2,000 Easter eggs. God was working in your hearts and your lives. And on Easter Sunday, I left this stage. And by the time I got to the floor, I was ready to quit. Y'all went out there and hunted Easter eggs. And I went into the conference room and had a pity party. Here's why. One of my sons is an avowed atheist. You want my kryptonite? There it is. I love my family. I give up my life for my family. God, as my witness knows, I'd give up my life right now to see them serve him. I give up everything. And I almost gave up this church. When we were doing things that God called us to do in a way that God called us to do it. Folks, if Elijah can come down off of Mount Carmel and experience depression, 
if I can come down off of Easter Sunday and not even get to the bottom of the steps, where are you at? What's it look like in your life? You don't have to hit the mountaintops. You're like, I've been living in the valley for seven years, Pastor. I don't want to leave you there. Y'all want to hear the solution for depression? Well, come on up, worship team. No one wants to hear about this. Do y'all want to hear about the solution for depression? Yeah, come on. The solution for depression, wait for it, is gratitude and joy. The solution for depression is gratitude and joy. It's all in this Bible. But the problem is, that ain't enough. You need more than that. And so let me just give you three practical steps on how you can overcome and how I overcame depression. Just here. Could you imagine if I didn't? Do you know what just happened in the last seven weeks in this church? Do you know that we baptized 38 people this year? 34 of those in the last 12 weeks? Actually, it's probably the last eight, 10 weeks. That wouldn't have happened if I'd have kept walking. Folks, it's not about me. God would have brought somebody else here, and he would have gotten 72 saved in the same, and 72 baptized in the same amount of time. God, his way will be done. The question is, are you going to be a part of it, or are you going to watch it happen? Are you going to allow God to use you in your life and see it happen, or are you going to hear everybody else talk about it, about the glory days of watching God? Number one, if you want to overcome depression, is you got to acknowledge it. In Elijah's battle with depression, he didn't pretend. He didn't bury his disillusionment and fake happiness. When you read through the psalmist, he doesn't do the, the same thing. There's no indication that he turned to food or shopping, alcohol or gambling, pornography, or any other number of means that, the way that people go to when they try to overcome depression and find themselves deeper in the hole. Instead, he got honest with God, and he cried aloud. And instead, your pastor, because he had the right people surrounding him, got honest with God. Psalm 34, 17 says this, When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all of their troubles. Folks, if you haven't been delivered out of your trouble, it, it just hasn't happened yet. God's word says it's coming. But the problem is most of you will abandon God before he ever delivers. And then you'll blame God. Well, I'm sorry, God, you just didn't do it when I wanted it done. And God said, you don't know what you missed. You don't realize What you wanted was a $10 bill, and what I had for you was a gold brick, and you couldn't wait. Verse 18 of Psalm 34 says, The Lord is near the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. And I know there's people here today that you identify with a crushed spirit. 
And I'm here to tell you that if you call Jesus your Savior, that God's word says that he is near and that he will save you out of that. Y'all better find Psalm 34, 18 highlighted and pray that every day. Say, God, uh, uh, you know, Pastor Ronnie said, uh, but even more than that, you said, when's it happening? I just get, help me out here. And your loving heavenly father will. Second thing is this, if uh, you need to redirect your thoughts. Redirect your thoughts. When you feel locked down by depression, when you feel like you're in a pit so deep that you can't get out, when you need to get a new perspective, when troubles crowd in and just keep mounting up, when the morning seems like the chores will never get done, when it seems like you can't even get out of bed, when that pity party seems like it's never going to end, when that's going on, what do you think that you're going to focus on? Are you going to focus on a positive future or are you going to focus on the horrible past? You're going to focus on the horrible past. And you're going to take that and you're going to interpret it and you're going to say, well, because I've had a horrible past for the last seven days, I'm obviously going to have a horrible future. That's not what God's word says. So what we do instead is we look in the rearview mirror at God's past blessings. Remembering is a biblical prescription to overcome depression. I put a little card down there in your uh, note takers. It's a little separate and it's called, it's a sheet that says finding your blessings. This is one of the skills that we teach in the relationship workshop. And I'm here to tell you that here's what we know. Here's what the scientists have told us. That somebody who can do this, somebody who is clinically depressed, somebody who's on medicine for depression, somebody who is hospitalized for depression, if they can do that little thing where they can identify three good things that's going on in their life, we call those blessings. If they can identify those over a 30, for 30 days, they're out of the hospital and they're off the medication. Now, why don't you hear that being on CNN? Because money, folks, God has given us the answer, and yet we would rather pop pills than practice what God's word tells us to do. Because it's easier. We think it's easier. But you know what? The pills don't always work. Do you know what? Sometimes your body gets used to those pills, and and so they got to get you bigger pills, more pills, different pills. And your doctor doesn't mind. And the pharmacy company loves it. But here's what God's word says in Philippians 4 and verse 8. It says this. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Now, you know, here's the problem. If I just told you, think about the good things in your life, you'll think about them for 10 seconds, and then you'll go back ruminating on all the bad things. You'll ruminate on all the bad relationships. You'll ruminate on all the bad situations. You'll ruminate on uh, the bad bank account, the bad job, the bad boss. And then you'll read God's word for 10 seconds, and then you'll spend 10 hours ruminating. You'll go to bed ruminating. You'll wake up in the middle of the night ruminating. You know what I've been waking up in the middle of the night the last three nights singing? I thank God. Ooh. 
I got to be honest with you, though. On Sunday night after Easter, I wasn't. I didn't wake up singing that song. I woke up. If you'd listened real closely, you'd have heard. Philippians 4, 8, doesn't say think about me and all my woes. It says think about these things. And so you could either literally write down on a sheet of paper and, and think about everything that's true in your life. Write that down. You go down here and it says honorable. What are the honorable things in your life? Write that down. But here's the reality. Most of you that are struggling with depression, you couldn't write anything. Matter of fact, I give you a sheet of paper. I give you 10 minutes. I come back and it's blank. Well, Ronnie, you just don't understand. Yeah, I've been there. Third step, if you want to overcome depression, is this. Magnify God and diminish your circumstance. There's been over 444 studies that have examined the relationship between having a spiritual and a, they call it spiritual and religious relationship and what they've and and depression and they've they recognize that there's an inverse relationship. Those that have a spiritual life that they are less likely to be depressed, they get out of depression quicker than those who don't. Matter of fact, uh, one study uh, uh, read this way, religious beliefs and practices may help people cope better. No. Let me, let, me, let me fill in the blank that they miss. Matthew 19, 26 says, with man, this is impossible. With God, all things are possible. You see, in God's economy, it just works. In man's economy, they give you medicine. In God's economy, he gives you the solution. And man said, now folks, I'm not here telling you to stay away from your doctor or not take the medicines. But what I'm here to tell you is that why don't you go to the great physician and allow him to speak into your life and then watch what happens on the other side. Because in God's economy, it just works. See, here's what happens. During depression, you begin with a huge problem and a little teeny tiny God. See, when Elijah was on Mount Carmel, did he have a little teeny tiny God when he called fire down from heaven? No, he had the creator of the universe who listened to his words and sent down fire from heaven and it consumed the altar, everything about it. When he went and saw that young boy who was dead and he cried out to God, did he have a little teeny tiny God? No, he didn't. He had a God that he spoke words and God heard and put life back into that young man. When that widow woman told him, look, I'm about to make my last set of biscuits and I'm dying. Me and my son, this is it. Did he have a little teeny tiny God? No, he didn't. He had a big, he goes, hey, you know what? You go get all of the vessels you can. I'm going to show you something. I'm going to show you how big my God is. I'm going to show you how big your God is. When he got up and he proclaimed to everybody, it is not going to rain in on the land. There's not going to be any dew but until I speak it. Did he have a teeny tiny God? No, he had a great big God. But here's what happened. When Jezebel said, I'm going to do to you what you did to them, by this time tomorrow, he had a little teeny tiny God. Teeny tiny. I don't even know if he's that big. He fit in his pocket. 
No, he wasn't even in his pocket. Folks, you need to flip the script. And you need to magnify God for who he is. You need to get rid of that teeny tiny God and, and embrace the God of this Bible. You need to get rid of that teeny tiny God that can't even help you get out of bed in the morning and embrace the God that will get you out of bed, give you a new job, and give you victory in every area of your life. That's the God that you need. That's the God that you want. Let me give you one. I'm going to close with this. To open up your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 58. If you've got a church Bible, it's 761. You're welcome. Some of y'all are going to get smart one day. Isaiah 58. It says, cry aloud, do not hold back, lift up your voice like a trumpet. Folks, you're going to hear the prescription. You're going to hear why depression happens, and you're going to hear the solution for depression. Remember what was number one. If you want to get rid of depression, what do you got to do? You got to acknowledge it. Y'all taking notes, help the people that aren't, all right? Acknowledge it. One way you acknowledge it is what they do here. Cry aloud and do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. And listen to this, now the people talk. Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Now, I just want to tell you something. When you yell out to God, he talks back. And here's what God said. Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and you oppress all your workers. Verse 4, behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight. Folks, that's the reputation of the church. That's what everyone driving by right now thinks about church. They think about our church. They think about every other church that they drive by. That all we are good at is arguing. That's why there's so many Baptist churches. I didn't like the pews. I didn't like the music. I didn't like the preacher. I didn't like, I didn't like, I didn't like. And so, you know what? They go start their own church. And then after two or three years, they don't like what he's doing and she's doing and they're doing. Verse 5, is such the fast that I chose, a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Answer, God. Let me just ask you this. What you're doing, you're moping and you're groping, you're complaining. Is that what God wants? Is that what God enjoys? Is that what God has called you to? Is that the victorious living that God expects from you? No, it's not. And it wasn't for the children of Israel. In verse 6, is not this the fast that I chose? Listen, guys. Is this not the fast that I choose? To lose the bonds of wickedness. I'm going there next week. To undo the straps of the yoke. To let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring your homeless 
pour into your house, when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Let me give you the 2021 Crossroads version. Is it not to build beds? Is it not to take them into homes and put them together? Is it not to have a benevolence ministry that reaches out? Is it not to have an every dollar ministry where we set aside one dollar for everybody sitting in here every Sunday that is set to minister to those in need? It's not that God gets rid of your bad boss. It's not that God gets rid of the people in your life that are oppressing you. What God wants you to do is get over yourself and magnify God, minimize your circumstance, and get busy. Folks, if you look at those note takers on the back page, there's a help wanted section. In this church, I don't know if you realize this, but we're growing. And and when we're growing, we need more workers. I love it that you're sitting in here. But what I really need is some of you to answer God's call and find out, you know what? I want to get busy too. I want to do something for God. I don't want to just sit here. I want to serve. Because that's the fast God has called us to. Here's what happens if Crossroads Church would do what God has called us to. In verse 8, Then shall your light break forth like the dawn, and the healing shall spring up speedily. See, if I would have got stuck over here, and I would have never recovered from this, I don't believe that we would have seen 18 people baptized the next week. I don't think that we would have seen uh, 17 baptized before that. How'd you like to carry that burden around? Two days later, after I had gotten over this, gotten my head on straight, I'm at lunch with my triple braided cord, guys who speak truth into my life. And one of them said this, if you would have done that, my daughter, you would have crushed her. You see, when I was worried about me and my problems and and the, the cross that God has called me to to carry, I wasn't worried about y'all's. Say shame on me. No, a little bit louder. Shame on you, pastor. That's not my job. My job is to carry your burdens. You know what I thought about when he said those words? I thought about a pastor who had, that I loved that had left our church and how I thought about that. Folks, I wonder, guys, all I know is to be honest and authentic with you. But if that's going on in my life, what's going on in yours? If that's what's happening, if that's the spiritual conflict that I'm dealing with, what are you dealing with? What are you giving up on? What are you walking away from? And what would the, when the light breaks forth like dawn look like in your life? What would the healing shall spring up speedily look like in your life? What would your righteousness go before you and the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard look like in your life? Verse 9, then you shall call him and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. How many people would love it when you cried out to God? He said, here I am, Ronnie. I'm right here. Come on. Come up to the front, Ronnie. That's where I'm at. I'll talk to you. What do you need? 
Verse 10, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, uh, translation, if you get over yourself and you start serving others, then your light will rise in darkness and your gloom, listen to this, your gloom will be as the noonday. Come on, folks. I know what it's like. I know many of you leave church excited, pumped up, and then you get back into the gloom. And you get back into the depression. And some of you, it takes until 9 o'clock tonight, but the rest of you get it by 8 o'clock on Monday morning. And God says that if you want to change that gloom and make it look like the noonday, because you know when the worst time to be depressed is? At 2 o'clock in the morning. Two o'clock in the morning is the absolute worst time. You wake up and everybody's asleep and they're sleeping soundly and you can't. And then you start listening to the wrong voice. And you start hearing wrong things. Verse 12, and your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations for many generations. What we're doing here at Crossroads Church is designed to last for many generations. We are building a church that your grandchildren want to go to. We are building a church that are seeing young kids and mature adults getting saved and baptized. Out of the, this amazed me. Out of the 38 that we baptized this year, Exactly 19 of them were under the age of 18. Guess how many? I know you guys can do public math too. How many were over the age of 18? 19. That's right, half of them. Guys, that's the kind of church that I want to pastor. I love the children, and I know that we need to minister to them, and we're going to. That's what they're doing over there right now. But you know what? I love it that God is changing y'all's hearts, changing your lives. Because here's what's going to happen. You're going to go and change other people's lives. I'm excited that we're in a church that invites people who invite people. Oh. Verse 12, and your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations for many generations, and you shall be called the repairer of the breach. Ahab called Elijah the troubler of Israel. I don't know what your friends call you. You do. You know what I'm talking about, right? That, that backhanded compliment that they give you? Yeah, you're a Jesus freak, aren't you? You better believe it. Come on. What, what kind of freak do you want to be? I see Mardi Gras. I've been to San Francisco. Photo with a freak. They got that down there on the pier. I did not see a Jesus freak there. Folks, you know what Centralia needs a few more of? Jesus freaks. Yes, he does. He, yeah. Ooh. <laughs> You're going to make your pastor dance. Don't do that. <laughs> he can't. <laughs> I would remove all doubt if I tried. Verse 13, if you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways, or seeking your own pleasure, or talking idly, I'm just going to stop and preach here for about 30 seconds. Going your own ways. There are too many churches doing that. Seeking their own pleasure. 
Folks, we're not building a church that we're comfortable in. We're building a church that when somebody who's never been to church for six months or six years and never in their life feel comfortable in. And folks, I'll never apologize for that. We're talk, talking idly. There's too many, too many churches today, not just in Centralia, but across this nation, that they talk and they don't walk. They say that they want to see people say, but they don't lift a finger to see it happen. Verse 14. Then you shall take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. How many people would like to take a a ride like that with God? Come on. Joe, that ain't nothing to 120 going down 15. Or so I say. Well, it was at one point. Carrie called me, and I said, honey, I'm doing 100 right now. What you need? He made it quick. You see, in God's economy, he will take you on the ride, the heights of the earth. In God's economy, he will take a church of people who don't deserve it and allow them to impact a community that needs it. Oh, man, I got so much I want to tell you. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. Let me close with one last verse, Psalm 42, 11. It says, why are you cast down, O my soul? I'm speaking to you now. Why are you cast down? Why are you having a pity party? Why are you letting the me monster get in your life? Why are you in turmoil? Here's the answer. Hope in God, for I shall again praise him. There is something about worship that recalibrates the soul. Don't y'all just feel better when we get into a, get some worship going on? Yeah. I mean, you came in here, and you were like barely getting in. Oh, it's Sunday. I'm hurting. I play volleyball. I golfed. My life is so rough. And then the worship happens. And some of y'all, I saw you clapping your hands. I saw some of you raising your hands. I saw some of you like bouncing. Y'all think I'm up here not watching. God gave me eyes in the back of my head. There's something about worship that recalibrates the soul. But let me hear, I'm here to tell you that worship is not the natural instinct when you're in depression. You don't play I thank God when you're in depression. You got another playlist. I'm afraid to even mention because it would distract you. When the gloom closes in and everything in your life seems like it's fading, when you want to, it seems like you just want to pull a blanket up over your head and just let everything keep moving on and you don't want to get out of bed in the morning. And when you want to bail out on God and everybody else just like I did, worship is what you need. Worship moved the psalmist. Worship moved Elijah. It moved the psalmist from a self-imploding funk into a God-enthralled, fruitful relationship. How many people want to have some worship? Stand to your feet. Worship team, come on up. If you are here this morning...
and you're hurting, I'm going to be right up here. I will pray with you, for you. The Bible says that Elijah was a man subject to like passions, but he prayed fervently, and God answered his prayers. Folks, I'm no Elijah, but I can tell you this, that God answers my prayers. Not because of me, but because of him. And I'm going to encourage my deacons and my my prayer warriors, if you'll come up and just spread out. And if you are here today and you want some, don't do this by yourselves, folks. You get up here and you allow somebody to pray and to speak into your life. That's what we do here at Crossroads. As a church, it's our honor to play a small part in all that God is doing in and through your life. And we would love to continue with you on that journey. You see, it's our mission to lead people to become fully devoted followers of Christ who walk by faith and not by sight. 